I'm so sorry we won't have our creation story this morning because the Preslovskis are home getting ready for the Super Bowl. Uh, the Preslovskis <laughs> had, <coughs> excuse me, they had a water main break at their house and they have some problems. So I want to pray for them right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for Mark and Penny and I don't know what all is going on there, but uh, we pray you'd help them to get that water problem solved, get the pipe repaired. And we pray that there would not be a lot of damage. And Lord, we pray that you would guide our thoughts today as we seek to understand your word. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. All for one and one for all. We have borrowed our title from Alexander Dumas, a French writer who wrote The Three Musketeers. And this was the motto describing the musketeers because those guys were faithful, loyal, and very selfless in their devotion to one another. This really should be the way the church should be characterized. Now Israel, last week, is riding high after a great victory at Jericho. Now, up the mountain to Ai, And then they'll control the high country and they'll be able to drive a wedge between north and south and that's a good military strategy. They had the book. They had the power of God. They had the supernatural leader. And they had a courageous earthly leader in Joshua. They had the Ark of the Covenant signifying the presence of God. They had the two 12 stone memorials reminding them of God's power to part the Jordan River. They had circumcision, the sign of the covenant. They had the Passover to remind them of the wrath of God down in Egypt and their deliverance from bondage there. They had a smashing victory at Jericho. What could possibly go wrong? Have you ever done anything that was prohibited? that affected millions of people? Well, I would answer no to that, but according to our lesson today, we may have done some things at some time in our lives that affected many people that we did not even realize or know about. Today, we come to the harem. That Hebrew word refers to a ban a curse, or something devoted to complete destruction. Now this word has the same linguistic derivation as an Arab word, Arabic word, haram, or harem. The word comes from a primitive root meaning to seclude or to prohibit. A harem refers to the secluded quarters of a Muslim's wives where uh, you would not be prohibited, uh, you would be prohibited to go and not be allowed to go. So this word harem comes up in our passage today. And if you take a look, if you have a modern translation, God is going to say there is a ban on the things in Jericho. And that sets the stage for the drama that we're looking at this morning, the harem. Now, it might seem odd to us that certain things in Scripture were prohibited from use by the owner of those things. 
you can think of the first fruits of the flocks and of the orchard that were dedicated to God. And I suppose God did it that way because everything belongs to Him and He wants to remind us to give Him His part, uh, to let us understand that it all belongs to Him. He's given us much, but we give Him back His portion. I think we refer to that as the tithe in this day and time. So in Leviticus there, we're told, Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. The Lord had told Joshua that the entire city of Jericho was to be under the harem, under the ban. It was devoted to destruction. Jericho represented the first fruits of the promised land. Joshua 6.17, And the city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belong to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live. Jericho represented the first fruits, and everything in it is doomed to destruction, devoted to the Lord. According to Joshua 6.19, the silver and gold were brought into the Lord's treasury. So these instructions for the harem were given formally to Moses, and then Moses conveyed it to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 2, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, Thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and suddenly destroy you. Now, this seems unfair to Americans. Uh, it's just a violation of our sense of justice that they would go into the land and destroy every living thing in this city of Jericho. Well, God is up to something. He is staunching the flow of evil in the land. And you can think about the practices that likely went on in Jericho a completely pagan people. And you can think about the disease, the misery, the heartache that would be connected with that. You can think of child sacrifice and many forms of perversion. And God says, it's over. We're not going to do that anymore. Now, it's true in the life of a nation, and it's also true in the life of an individual. When sin reaches a certain point, then God says, it's too late. We're done with this. This was predicted way back in Genesis 15. Abraham, you remember when we studied Genesis last year. God said to Abram, that's Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they, the people of the land, shall afflict them 400 years. He's referring to their bondage down in Egypt. And then verse 16, but in the fourth generation, 
they lived a little bit longer back then. So we've got four generations. They shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It wasn't full in Abraham's day, but in Joshua's day, it was full to overflowing. And God says, this is the end of the iniquity of the Amorites. Bang! The harem. And we're going to destroy everything and start over again clean. Now the Amorites were so numerous and so powerful that many times in the Old Testament it refers to the Amorites to represent the entire land of Canaan. So when you see the iniquity of the Amorites, it's talking about the iniquity of the Canaanites. Disobedience defined. You know the story well here. Uh, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread out throughout all the land. That's the last verse in chapter 6. Everything is going well. The Lord is with his people and they are famous now because of these great victories that have been won. But, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. One man, Achan, decided he wanted some of the spoil of Jericho. Can you say, got to haves? This guy saw what he wanted. And what did he see? Well, he saw a bar of gold. And uh, it felt to him about like a 50 shekel bar. Ooh, that's nice. He was thinking about that XR300 IROC Z chariot with titanium <laughs> wheels that he was going to see sitting in his driveway. But then he saw something else. It's locked. Surely these Jerichoites have a key around here. So, oh, 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 yes. I wonder what's in here. He was so excited his hands were shaking. Oh, what could it be? Oh, oh, just what I wanted. Oh, man. Oh, that feels good. Oh, let's see. 10, 20, 30, 40. 200 shekels of silver. Oh, oh, oh we're going to have some fun. Uh, what else can we find around here? Uh, oh, oh, look at this. Oh. Made in Shinar. Zapato Brothers. Oh, yes. Oh. Now, Babylon, of course, was the fashion capital of the Middle East. And uh, a new robe from Shinar. I love those earth colors that fit with my autumn complexion. Ah. Ah. Mm. Ah. Ooh, man, you're looking pretty good. Oh, this is good. Oh, what am I doing? Somebody's going to see me. Ah, quick, I've got to do something with this. What can I do? Put that head off my head. I'll put this in my sheepskin backpack and hustle it off to my tent. 
and dig a little hole in the sand right behind my tent and scoot it in there. Ooh, we're going to have some fun. Now, sometimes sin looks pretty good, doesn't it? And it's kind of shiny, and you can just hear those shekels clinking into the chest, and it looks like a pretty good deal. But this guy made a bad mistake. Now, let's look at the process. He saw what he wanted. He coveted what he saw. And what he saw was not sin, but sin begins in the mind. And keep in mind that a lot of what you see today would be sin. For instance, uh, nakedness that you would see on television or the media or whatever. So the, the money is not sin, but for him it would be because it's under the ban. It's the harem. So he coveted what he saw and he took what he coveted and he concealed what he had taken. Sin always comes in a sequence of progression from bad to worse. And that's the reason you have to cut it off at the thought stage before it gets any further, before it gets any stronger. The minute your eyes see it, or the eyes of your mind see it, you have to cut it off. And here's the reason. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who first said something like this. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a life. You sow a life, you reap a destiny. So you have to cut off sin right at the moment of conception in the mind. You have to quickly abort the thought because it instantly becomes too strong for you to manage. And when the rheostat gets turned up, then it's too late. The sin is too powerful because it promises pleasure. And it might bring pleasure for a little while, but then a sad remorse sets in at some point like it did with Judas. Sometimes it can go on for years. And sometimes it seems that people check out of this world without any remorse. But that would be very unfortunate if they have seared their consciences. Can you imagine how Achan must have felt when he saw the entire Israeli army, that part of it that went up to Ai, running back toward the camp in sore defeat? And 36 men lost their lives after everything God had provided for them. So Achan has a burden of guilt. I believe he has a burden of guilt. He had failed. He understood he had failed. You remember when Joshua confronted him, he quickly confessed what he had done. He failed the eye exam. He kept on looking and longing until he took it. He failed the logic test. I believe I can get away with this. I don't believe God is going to do anything. Just, just this little, out of all this treasure and everything that's going into the Lord's treasury, I don't think it's going to be a problem. 
He failed the hearing test. Joshua had said, the city is under the ban. Don't touch any of the Lord's merchandise. And he failed the patience test. Check this out. When I read this, I can't believe it. The very next chapter, Joshua 8, 2. The next chapter. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. If this guy could have waited a few days, he would have had the gold and silver and the cattle and whatever there was. Ai was not the first fruits. Ai was for you, for the Israelites. If he could have just waited, he would have had all the goodies free and clear. But alas, that's how sin is. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. And if God won't get it, give it, I'll get it for myself. So thank you. Please get out of my way. Here I go. I'm going to get it because I have got to have it. That's kind of the way we think sometimes, but we have to be careful. And if you have the money just to go out and get anything that suits your fancy, then you have to really be careful because uh, God says it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And we want to be those faithful stewards. Always give God a chance to provide and always give Him the first fruits of your increase. Now, Joshua, at the end of the book there, toward the end, after many of the battles have been won, he is talking to, you remember, Reuben, Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they said, we want the land over here on the east side of the Jordan River, but we'll go in and help you fight, and then we'll come back over here to good land for cattle. So Joshua said, okay. And they did do that. And when Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, return to your homes with great riches, with large herds of livestock, silver, gold, bronze, iron, and a great quantity of clothing. Those new mantles from Shinar. They had a whole wardrobe full of them. And divide with your brothers the plunder from your enemies. Oh, if we could only wait upon the Lord. But when we do something like that, do you know what is stronger than our shame and guilt? It's the desire to cover it up. We don't want anybody to find out. And, of course, Satan uh, plays into that thing, too. And he says, hey, if nobody finds out, it'll be okay. You can repent in private. No one will ever know. Yes, and you'll probably go back and do it again and again and again if you don't have any earthly accountability. So we don't have to certainly stand up in church and confess every sin we've ever done. But if there is an ongoing stronghold, probably need to tell my dad about that or tell somebody about that so I can get some help in dealing with it. Here's the bad news for Israel. About two million people at this time. God is speaking now to Joshua. This is really bad. Israel has sinned. Yeah, but wait a minute. I thought it was Achan that sinned. But remember, all for one and one for all. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they have ever taken some of the things under the ban and have stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. 
They turn their backs before their enemies. They have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. I think we have in those two short verses ten plural pronouns. We have the nominative, they, we have the objective, them, we have the possessive, there. Ten times. He wants to get the message across to the people. This is your problem. It's not just Achan's problem. This is your problem. Whoa, that must be the Old Testament God trying to blame me for what Achan did. That's terrible. Yeah, but the book says he never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Oh yeah, but that's Jesus talking about in the New Testament. Right, but in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore you sons of Israel are not consumed. Now the tables are turned. What a sad thing. Jericho had been the devoted thing that was going to be destroyed. Now Israel has become the devoted thing because Achan's sin had disqualified the entire nation from experiencing the fulfillment of God's plan. See, God says, get Jericho out of the way because they're in the way of my plan of getting the land settled. But now Israel gets in the way of God's plan because of sin. Do we ever get in the way of God's plan? Well, we, we, we say, well, I, I don't know what God is doing. Well, look in the book of Acts and we can tell what He's doing. He's building His church He's bringing people to Himself. So we want to keep short accounts so we don't get in the way of that. Now here's the question. If I sin, or if you sin, does that affect the entire church? Yes, I think it does. When there's sin in the body of Christ, God's blessing is either obstructed or terminated until that sin is confessed and judged and removed. And we have some instances of that in the New Testament. I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That would be brother or sister in Christ. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outsiders purge the evil person from among you. This is very similar to what God is saying to Joshua about Achan's sin. We've got to do something about that. God says, the reason for that is that God says it, it's supposed to be like that. He knows that that person is going to derail his plans for the body. And then the heathens are going to look at that and say, that, that's going on in the church? Why, man, those people are worse than we are. Look at this. And that uh, hurts God's name and it hurts His honor. In Revelation 2, the entire church at Pergamos was required to repent because they had tolerated sin in their midst. This was not an unusual thing in the New Testament. So if your personal spiritual life grows cold, that kind of lowers the temperature of the church a little bit because all for one and one for all in terms of the body of Christ. Uh, let me uh, read to you here 
what Alan Redpath says in his book, Victorious Christian Living. Let me say that the testimony of your church in its community and throughout the world depends upon the victorious life of every man and woman on your church rolls. The witness of our church to the glory of God is affected by the testimony of every one of us. If only we would realize that, how readily we would recognize the need for helping and strengthening and praying for each other on this pilgrim journey. Did you get that last part? We're in this together. We've got to be helping one another. If there's some problems, we've got to see if we can't help a person deal with those problems. But wait a minute now. What if my sin is so secret that nobody knows about it? Then that wouldn't count, would it? Well, here's what we can learn in this chapter 7 about secret sin. First, it makes God angry in verse 1. The anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. I've heard people say God doesn't get angry anymore. I think He does get angry at sin anymore. And if I'm the one causing the sin, I may be in trouble just like uh, Achan was. Secret sin causes trouble for everybody. Verse 5, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Secret sin is very unprofitable in the end. All Israel stoned them, the entire family, with stones. Hold it. That's unfair. They stoned the entire family. Can't do that. Because Deuteronomy says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone should be put to death for his own sin. Perhaps the family members were accomplices. I don't know. God knew. But I do know that secret sin is not really secret. Verse 23. And they took the treasure from inside Achan's tent and brought it to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel. Everybody knew about it. God knows about secret sin and at any moment He can make it public sin. Joshua told Achan, you've not stolen from man, but you've stolen from God. Remember in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and they lied about the money. And that secret sin didn't last for very long. And Peter said, you have lied to God about this. Lied to the Holy Spirit. So God can make it public at any time. And I've heard of instances of God doing that. Things that had to do with the uh, Internet. Yeah, but God doesn't go around killing people like He did back then. Well, that's true. He doesn't always kill people immediately because of their sin. But there was a reason for that back then. In both instances, God was doing a brand new thing. In Joshua's day, He was building a nation as His channel of redemption. So he wanted people to know that sin is a bad thing. Disobedience has dangerous consequences. In the New Testament book of Acts, with Ananias and Sapphira, God is building the church as a channel of redemption. He wanted people to know that uh, this is serious business here with the church. And sin will derail the plan, so it's a bad thing. So in those instances, God just let people see the ugliness and danger of disobedience. Now before we leave Achan and go on to the leadership, consider this ironic twist 
about what might have happened. What if Achan would have confessed his sin and acknowledged that he did wrong before he was confronted by Joshua? What would have happened then if he had owned up to his sin? Well, how about some grace here? Isaiah 55, the Old Testament. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, amen. I think that God would have pardoned Achan. I don't think he would have been executed if he had admitted what he had done. And if the Holy Spirit is working in my heart, one of his jobs is to convict me of sin. And if I'm convicted of sin, I can deal with it and save some unfortunate consequences for myself and for others. You can see what happens when the enemy attacks leadership and when he attacks the pastor. That's the reason we gave you a little track last Sunday. Pray for the pastor. Because the enemy is hitting toward a bullseye, which is right there. If he can knock me out, Cody, Paul, that's going to affect some people. You see how that works. Well, the defeat described. We've seen how Achan was defeated in his personal life by a bad case of the got to haves. Now we come to the question of whether or not Israel could have de- avoided the defeat at Ai. I personally think that they could have if Joshua had not been guilty of the sin of omission. Achan's sin was commission and Joshua's sin was omission. What does that mean? It means that the leadership of the church had better be on their toes, excuse me, on their knees because the enemy is always going to be trying to look for a weak point and attack at that point. Here's the first thing that we see, prayerlessness. Perhaps the greatest sin of omission in the church today. Now we learned a lesson from Moses back in Deuteronomy 8. Prosperity causes forgetfulness. Forgetfulness allows pride to build up. Pride results in idolatry. And greed is idolatry according to Colossians 3.5. I want it all for me and you can go jump in a lake or something. Where does prayerlessness come in? It comes in right at the very beginning with prosperity and the flush of victory. Jericho. Man, they are celebrating the big celebration. Everything is wonderful. What was wrong? Well, they should have been praying, I think. And they should have been thanking the Lord. They should have had a big prayer and praise service. They should have gone back to Gilgal where Joshua could have some personal time to thank the Lord for everything he did and to remember who uh, won the battle there. In fact, I think it would probably have been a pretty good idea if Joshua had taken all the people up to Ai with their horns, marched around the city, just like they did in Jericho, and then when the walls didn't fall down, they would have recognized, hey, this, uh, something is happening here. Uh, we need the power that we had in Jericho, there must be a new plan. Let's all get down on our knees and ask God what the plan is. But there was no uh, indication in the Scripture that they had stopped to pray. 
In fact, if you will look in verses 6 through 9, we did get prayer. God knows how to get His people praying, doesn't He? We did get prayer, but it came after Ai instead of before. And Joshua's crying out to the Lord and they're down on their face and they got the dirt on their head and they're, they're really in mourning here. What went wrong, Lord? But notice in verse 10, God answers Joshua rather harshly. Harshly. Rise up. What is, why is it you have fallen down on your face? I think God recognizes that Joshua, who had been out in that wilderness experience 40 years, he should have been a little more savvy about the effects of sin. He should have known that that defeat came because there was sin in the camp. But he's crying out to the Lord, and uh, the only problem was he waited too late to pray. He should have been crying out like that before they went up to Ai. So here's the deal. We would remind ourselves. You face defeat after victory time and time again unless you figure out a way to maintain constant contact with the Lord. After we have achieved victory, whatever that victory may be, little victory, big victory, if we're not careful, we're just basking in the sunshine of victory. And that's when the enemy likes to attack. And we will see why coming up here. Now let me say this is important. Not all adversity is a result of prayerlessness. Not all weakness and failure comes as a result of sin. We have the story of Job there in the Old Testament. Uh, we see all kinds of examples. We see the apostles in the New Testament. They're persecuted. They're beaten up, thrown in jail, stoned, left for dead. Not because of sin, but because, I suppose... God is going to help them on to perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope, which produces spiritual maturity. So we don't want to suggest a new kind of legalism. If you didn't pray this morning, you're going to have a bad day. How do we know? You might have prayed all night. But we don't want to fall off on the other side of the wagon into antinomianism and to say that, well, I'm under grace, not under the law, so it doesn't matter how I live. It does matter how we live. And since a fool since a fool trusts in his own heart, we better check there first to see if there's any presumption or anything going on that shouldn't be. Begin the day by saying, Lord, is there any sin in the camp? If there is, I want to renounce it and confess it before we get to Jericho. Well, prayerlessness, that would be one problem of leadership. Here's another Presumption. And I'm not saying just for Joshua, but I'm thinking about all the people. Where does moral presumption come from? It comes from underestimating the power of the enemy. Do you think the devil is powerful? Do you think he's tricky? He's pretty tricky. If he could trick the man after God's own heart, if he could trick the strongest man who ever lived, if he could trick the wisest man who ever lived, He's pretty tricky. Where does that leave me? Well, we're back into spiritual warfare now. Israel's presumption came from two things. Where would my presumption come from? Confidence in myself and comparison with others. Look what we did. We blasted those Jerichoites. We punched those guys right off the map. 
Man, yeah, that punky place. Hey, we'll blow their doors. Those hillbillies won't know what hit them. They're nothing compared to Jericho. A couple of thousand of us can mop the floor with those guys in Ai. Famous last words. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, our men, and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Here we are back again in victorious Christian living. Mark this lesson well in your Christian life. There is no experience in Christian living so full of danger as the flush of victory. There's no moment so perilous as when for the first time in his Christian life the man of God has experienced deliverance from sin. At such times we begin to take pride in ourselves, to boast about our, that our own arm has saved us. We so easily imagine that because we have achieved victory once, God has imparted to us some new strength that will see us through our earthly, all our earthly journey. So we want to be reminded that the power that we experienced for the battle today that brought us the victory is not necessarily available tomorrow. So where do we get that power? Well, we got to go back to the Lord and His Word and get in the book and say, Lord, what are your instructions for today? Now, last time we marched around, tooted our horns and shouted, what's it going to be this time? and make sure that we are listening to what God says. Well, where did I get that power? Back to section A, prayer and waiting on the Lord. Notice that Joshua conversed with the spies that he sent up to Jericho, but he didn't communicate with the Lord. At least he didn't say that he communicated with the Lord. He should have had a time of really thinking about what was happening. Here's the third possibility. Passion resulting in disobedience. Now, we all have strong feelings of excitement or enthusiasm, and that can be a good thing if it's channeled in the right direction. But uh, let me ask especially young people, can you wait for God to provide what you need? Are you going to run out and grab what you want? Ask yourself this question. What is the origin and object of, of those feelings of strong passion, I've got to have that gold and silver, or whatever it may, may be. And what are we going to do about those feelings? Then ask yourself again, is God really good, and is He good to me? And can I trust Him? Because He says He's going to provide everything we need. The very last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now in our lesson despite Joshua's enthusiasm to get on to the hill country, he still responded well to the setback at Ai. Joshua 7, 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why hast thou ever brought this people over the Jordan? only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. If only we'd been willing to dwell beyond Jordan on the east side there with Reuben, Dan, and half of Manasseh. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it 
and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do for thy great name? Now you see that Joshua's heart is in the right place because his concern is for God's reputation and the fact that his name is going to be dishonored among the heathen. And this ought to be a matter of concern to us as well. So we come down to the last section, direction delivered by God. When he went back to God, God said, get up off your knees. Here's what you need to do. Get rid of the sin in the camp. And they got all the families out there, and they probably used the Urim and Thummim. It says they cast lots. And God directed through that means of understanding to this tribe and then to the family and then to the man, Achan. God says, get rid of the sin. He still says that. Here's the progression that we see. We see it in the Bible. We see it sometimes in our lives today. There is sin of some sort, maybe secret sin. And then the blessing slows down or stops. Now be sure we don't get gifts and blessings mixed up. Because the blessing is anything that draws us closer to Christ. Was the crucifixion a blessing? How many of you would like to have that blessing? Well, you got it. We talked about that. So a lot of times we say, you know, God has blessed us with a new car. Man, that's great. Well, that's a good gift. It's yet to see whether it's going to be a blessing, if it'll run and crank and everything. So we're talking about the blessing slows down or stops because the Holy Spirit is grieved and there's a barrier there. And then comes judgment and it may be just the conviction in our hearts or it may be like Achan. We've been found out in some way. And then if we're on target, there needs to be repentance. And that would include acknowledging what I've done wrong, making any restitution or whatever there may be need for and then the blessing comes again. Now you see this over and over in the book of Judges. We won't get that far in this study. But over and over there's prosperity. They're in the land. They didn't have any centralized leadership. But they would get into sin. And they would start worshiping Moloch. And they would start worshiping Baal. And then God would send judgment. And the blessing is cut off. And then they would get on their knees, Oh, Lord, we'll never do it again. Please help us. And sure enough, He would help them by sending a judge. And then that judge, like Samson or Gideon or some of those guys, would judge for a period of years, sometimes 40 years. And then things would slide back down the wrong direction. And then it would start over again. And then finally, Samuel comes along as the last judge and we're moving toward centralized leadership. Now, how about you young people here? Forty years from now, will you still be serving the Lord? Well, it's going to depend on the thought that you sow and the habit that you sow and the character that you sow and so forth from decisions that you make today. So here would be our conclusion. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you look at with desire. Now, we have an advertising industry that I think performs a good function for our society in some ways. You can look up and you can find all about a product and what it does and how much it costs and what the warranty is and the whole thing. But a lot of the advertising industry is based on covetousness.
here's something you don't really need, but I know you want it, and really you need it. And it'll do this and this and this for you. And that's what we have to be careful of. Be careful what I look at, because what I look at finds a way into my heart. Well, be careful what you think about. Do you ever think of, do you ever find your mind going back to thinking about something over and over and over again? One time in my life, I bought a brand new factory order automobile. Man, I love that automobile. I thought about it all the time. It was wonderful. I went out and shined it all the time. And then some other things happened. We won't get into that. Uh, Listen very closely to what God has said. How will you know what He said? Lord, I'm waiting for you to speak. It's in the book. It's right here in the book. I've got to be a student of the book. Don't get impatient. Wait on the Lord. And if you've suffered spiritual defeat in your life, renounce the sin. Ask forgiveness. Get up and get back into the battle. Proverbs 28.13 He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And remember, at FCF, it's all for one and one for all. Why do we know that's true? Say it loud. That's exactly right. And we see here the whole nation blamed for what one man did Achan. But when one man does the right thing, then that's a great boost and encouragement for all the body of Christ. So what do we need to do? We need to be praying for one another. We need to be checking up on one another. See how things are getting along. What's the battle you're fighting right now? Uh, We need to be involved in seeing about one another, helping, doing whatever, meeting the needs, whatever there may be. Now, someone may have had an observation before we close in prayer. Any questions or any things that we need to mention? Okay. Yeah, it has to reload. Don't get impatient. A lot in the Bible about waiting on the Lord. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we see (coughs) in this lesson today ourselves. I see myself. And oftentimes I'm thinking the same way as Achan. That uh, if nobody knows about it, nobody finds out I'm good. But we do see the danger of secret sin or any kind of sin. And we see the setback for Israel. We see the right procedure followed. They came to you in prayer. But oh, if that prayer had only been right after Jericho to seek your guidance and your directions for the next step, capturing the next city. Lord, I pray in the church that we might have a greater concern for the well-being of one another. I pray that uh, we would be faithful to lift up the body in prayer, individual members of the body. I pray that we might uh, check up on one another to see 
how things are going and see how we may help out. And I thank you that Yvonne and I have been the recipients of that uh, this very week. Uh, Lord, thank you for the body of Christ and the way you have given different gifts to members of the body so that they might encourage others in the body. We pray that we might be a patient people, that we might uh, wait upon you, that we might seek your direction, and that we might encourage others to do the same. I pray for these young people as they think about the big decisions of life, and I pray, Lord, that you would guide them at every step along the way as they would seek you. Thank you for the blessing of abundant life in Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen.